Hello, this is Jesse Weiler for Adoramus Bulletin. This week, I speak with Dr. Kevin Magus, who serves as Professor of Dogmatic Theology and Director of Intellectual Formation for the Liturgical Institute at the University of St. Mary the Lake, Mundelein Seminary. In this interview, we talk about the second part of his series on Benedict XVI and the reforms of the Second Vatican Council. If you want to check out both articles, you can go to adoramus.org. So without further ado, another Adoramus interview. Dr. Magus, it's great to have you on our podcast today. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me, Jesse. This is a, this is a rare first that I get to be in the same room as the person I'm interviewing for this podcast, but i um, very excited to talk about the second part in this series that you're doing on Benedict XVI and the reforms of Second Vatican Council. So um, can you just give me a, a, a brief synopsis of what that first part was so that we know the trajectory that, that this article is going to get into? Sure. Essentially, it's looking at how uh, Pope Benedict XVI, and in his thought as Cardinal Ratzinger, how he uh, addressed both um, kind of the state of the church before the council, how he looked at the Second Vatican Council and its contributions itself. Um, and so those two parts are in the first part of the article. And the second part kind of looks at his uh, analysis of the post-conciliar situation and uh, then, you know, so, so some of his strategies for uh, combating certain overemphases that he sees in the church after the council. And then at the end, I turn to his actions as pope. So it's kind of broken up before the Second Vatican Council, Vatican Council in part one, and then afterwards in part two. So the elephant in the room here is, <laughs> why do we even need to be talking about this in the first place if these things were said in Vatican II and it's clear in, in you know the rubrics and Sacrosanctum Concilium, why is there a quote-unquote situation, as you said? Mm. Yeah, well, a lot of it comes down to the fact that, you know, Pope Benedict recognizes that there's certain clarity in uh, the liturgical movement leading up to the council and in the council itself. But even though there is that trajectory, um, there is various competing interpretations in terms of what that meant. And so he saw his own movement as, as a corrective to certain imbalances that he saw. So the, the conciliar document itself, Sacrosancta Concilium, he thought reflected a, a certain balance of different principles. And after the council, what you find is an overemphasis on certain aspects of the tradition. So the, the need for a corrective then is part of his, his uh, project. Okay, so <clears throat> lots of questions here. How, how do you guard against uh, maybe like overcorrecting? Because we want to make sure that this is a balanced approach. And if there's something needs to be corrected, again, we don't want to. We want to make sure we're not overcorrecting and going too far in the other direction. Yeah, he he would see these as in terms of uh, the Catholic approach to things, which is typically both and. You want to hold them in tension, hold them together. And so you're right. You don't want to, you know, if you look at it as a pendulum, you don't want to go from one swing of the pendulum to another. And it just becomes the same problem, but in reverse. And so I think the what I try to point out in the article, what I feel is beneficial about his thought is, is that it is marked by the holding intention of these of the two different like poles of, in Catholic theology. So one example that I pointed to in the article is um, his identification of the Eucharist as both meal and sacrifice. And so he thought that 
after the council, there is a temptation to turn this just into a, a sort of ordinary meal and focus on that. But you're right. If that is the strict focus, then the Eucharist takes on a very different look, you know, phenomenologically versus if you, you know, incorporate its sacrificial dimension that here we're at the representation of the one sacrifice of Calvary and the seriousness that that cultivates. So, but no, that's a, that's a good instinct is that you can't go too far then in the opposite direction. So you use a lot of, I think, key phrases in here that, I, that I've heard before. And then, you know, we hear a lot of people who write in Adoramus talk about <clears throat> restore, reform, continuity. Mm-hmm. So what, what do these things mean in relation to the expression of liturgy post-Vatican II? Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. So like I mentioned before, there's various competing um, interpretations of the council. And what uh, Benedict advocates for is uh, a view of the council under a way of interpreting it or a hermeneutic, which is of reform in continuity with the entire ecclesial and liturgical tradition that came before it. He contrasts this to a, a, content, uh, a hermeneutic of discontinuity, which sees the council as this new, completely new event that um, the spirit is guiding towards, you know, some t- some sort of uh, amorphous future. And he says, no, the council needs to be read in line with what's come before it. So uh, note too, though, that and as I point out in the article, that this is a, a hermeneutic of uh, reform and continuity. It's not just to repeat what's been said before uh but it's to to em- emphasize that there could have been certain you know overemphases in the past in the way the church celebrated the liturgy for example an, an exclusive use of latin and that there is a place to uh reform those things there is a place to introduce new organic developments into the liturgy and not just close it off like some sort of museum piece so um, I think that's important because some people will just say that he, he advocated for this hermeneutic of continuity. And there's a way of understanding that is just like, okay, the church is doing now the same things that it did before. It's a repetition. But no, it's a, there's a possibility of reform within mm-hmm. that continuity. Let, let's bring, yeah. keep that going and bring into focus um, uh, one of the things you, you say in here is that there are, are large contingent of people, maybe on both extremes of this whole thing, that believe that there's a break in tradition. And so what you're saying, I guess, kind of goes against that thought, correct? Yeah, exactly. He's, he'll say that the um, Missal of Paul VI, which is the, the current ordinary form of the Roman Missal, is that very same Missal that was reformed by the popes prior to it. It's not a different rite. It's not a different, you know, missile. It's that same missile as renewed under the direction of the Second Vatican Council. So he wants to clearly emphasize that. Where he thinks that there's a break, though, is the um, certain deficient attitudes that accompany that, which is that, you know, that, that the council represented a break with tradition and its liturgical right represents this break with tradition. And he says, ironically, that this is one of the things that actually unites both traditionalists and progressives is that they both look at the council as this break with the past, either a break with tradition or, yeah. you know, so he, he's trying to, to, to form a sort of um, 
middleway or via media that, that, that tries to say uh, it, this is continuity and things change, things did happen, and the church is continually guided by the spirit. But um, yeah, he wants to avoid the, that polarization that so often characterizes liturgical discussions. Uh, I, w- I want to move on to uh, liturgy and devotion, and I'm going to I'm going to read this uh, this sentence uh, from from your article here, and I I, I think uh, it makes a lot of sense to me, and I'd ho- I'm hoping you can kind of parse this out a little more. But it says uh, while the council reclaimed the fact that Eucharist was the source and center of the church's life, and recovered the notion that the assembly should be participating in the liturgical act rather than their private devotions during mass. This is the key part. Ratzinger believes devotions outside of the Eucharist have the profound capacity to lead us into a more fruitful celebration of the sacraments and help meet the profound spiritual hunger of our modern world. That last part, the profound spiritual hunger of our modern world. And I think Mm. that is what I've seen is a major issue where we have modernity and the need for other things, even like new technologies being incorporated into the liturgy, there's a hunger for that. But Ratzinger, correct me if I'm wrong, is saying that there are modalities to solve those <laughs> issues mm-hmm. or that then continue to enhance the sacramentality of, of the liturgy. Is that is that mm-hmm. right? And can you expand on that a little more? Yeah. Yeah. So he he's he wants to push back against an understanding of um, devotions that would would see devotional life as replacing the liturgy. So one of the chief contributions he sees in the Second Vatican Council is it restores the proper ordering of liturgy as a source and center of the spiritual life. Um, and devotions have a place in that, but it's not within the context of the liturgy itself, right? They can be on the outside of it and flow back to it, but it's not to replace liturgical life. So he's thinking of things like, you know, you have a low mass and um, in Latin and, you know, the faithful maybe who didn't participate in that liturgical action that you would do something like pray the rosary during that time. So no, he wants you to, actively participate, be immersed in the liturgical act itself. But he thinks after the council, that very good intuition um, kind of resulted in this, you know, kind of just looking at the liturgy itself as the only source of spirituality and kind of downplaying certain devotions like the rosary or stations of the cross, etc. So again, with this, with this rebalancing move, what he wants to do is he sees it like you like you said there is a spiritual hunger in the world and the liturgy nourishes that um hunger but then also a rich devotional life um, in its proper place helps us to live out that liturgical life in all dimensions of um of our life so we go forth from the liturgy but then the sacramentals, you know, mark our lives in, in, in our homes, for example, different blessings, uh, exorcisms, all of these things, sacramentals, devotional life of the church, they help us consecrate the rest of our life. And so all that needs to be there. Yeah. Our, our colleague, Dr. McNamara, likens devotions to like dessert in a meal. And mm. while it is a part of the meal and it is food that you can consume, if you only ate dessert for your whole life, you'd lack the sustenance, I think, to, to properly live. So um, let, let's move on to the pontificate uh, of Benedict, as, as you said, uh, you foreshadowed earlier. But um, so he actually did a number of things to kind of keep this going. 
the two of them uh, kind of in, in one is the Sumorum Pontificum, uh, allowing for a wider spread use of what people commonly call the Latin Mass. And then kind of among that, this, this idea of mutual enrichment. And so what, where did that come from, and do you think it was effective? Mm. Well, part of it is it's a visible means of showing forth that notion that he said that the council is in continuity with everything before it. And so if that is true, then the um, that expression of the Roman rite in the 62 Missal can't all of a sudden, he says, be seen as something that's not sacred or not holy and, and completely uh, off limits. So he, he sees the, um, that that could form a role in, um, in a contemporary articulation of Catholic liturgical spirituality. Now, again, he's not like he, he, he liberalized the, you know, the quote unquote Latin mass and said, okay, this is the ordinary form. And this is, um, you know, everything after the council and the new right is, you know, worthless again, he didn't do that. You know, he, he said, um, there's been valuable dimensions to the newer practice of the rights and and the contributions of the council, but um, there are certain things that are, are deficient in the way that the liturgy was celebrated, oftentimes after the council, like a lack of um, the mystery of God and the, the sac- sacrality of the holiness of what's happening at the liturgy. And so the mutual enrichment idea is just that, you know, he thought that with a wider availability of the Latin mass, that those qualities such as um, sacrality could, you know, be part of how the the current uh, missile is celebrated. But note again, that mutual enrichment is it's a two-way street. He also thinks that there are contributions uh, in the uh, newer form of the mass that could shape how the the 62 missile celebrated today would be received and interpreted so those things include like you know you know the church progresses through time so newer saints the the wider use of different prefaces that the new missile has um the concern with uh, active participation so he thinks it's a two-way street yeah it, it, that's consistent with this both and 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 the last thing i really want to parse out here is Coming from your article and, and what I know about his pontificate, I, I like how he left the door open enough for renewal and, you know, re-Catholicizing the liturgy, as you say, but also not so much so that it becomes another reform. Like, he, mm-hmm. he never said, we're going to dive in, we're going to look at all this stuff and change everything again to mm-hmm. to really emulate what v- Vatican II said. But he, he, it seems like he wanted a more organic renewal uh, with this both and. Is that true? Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the central thesis that I wanted to explore um, through both parts of the article is that, you know, we hear of Ratzinger's um, project as the reform of the reform. And there's certain connotations to that. Like, we think that reform means changing rites and prayers and structures. Um, but he's nothing that he really suggests is so much on that level, like structural changes. He's more the, in the connotations that correspond with renewal. And so when I use that word re-Catholicizing, it really gets at this concept of renewal, that it's not just about changing rites and texts, but it's deepening a liturgical spirituality. It's receiving 
the liturgy in an attitude of devotion so that way it transforms your entire life that's what he really wanted to cultivate celebrate the liturgy properly inwardly and outwardly so that way you will um, be transformed and so that's deeper than just changing changing a prayer um, or certain external things he's looking at something deeper Excellent. Well, Dr. Magus, thank you so much for uh, sharing your insights here. And uh, if you want to read the article, you can go to adoramus.org. Again, there are two parts out now, and uh, make sure you read them in order, because that's the way Benedict would want you to do it, right? <laughs> Very German, yes. <laughs> right. Thank you. Thank you.